0: We come into the world and we are given the most powerful tool, but we aren't handed a user manual for it. I am talking about our mind. This is Emily from EssentiallyM.com. I am a manifestation and mindset coach for driven women like you who are seeking more clarity, more courage, and more ease around your goals. And when it comes to creating a reality full of abundance, high vibes and living in alignment with what makes you come alive if you are ready to create a life that you are absolutely in love with and live in a reality that is better than your dreams then stick with me and consider this your weekly dose of free coaching welcome to the miracle mindset Hey Miracle Mindset listeners, I have a very special gift for you. I am giving away my signature six-step process to manifest literally anything in a free PDF guide that you can get if you go to essentiallym.com slash manifest. And it also includes a free five-minute super-effective mini meditation to help you manifest all of your desires. These are the six steps in the guide that I teach over the course of six weeks exclusively to my Step Up Your Game students, and I am now giving away what those six steps are and this complete PDF guide for you. So just head on over to EssentiallyM.com. That's slash Essentially manifest And get yourself signed up so you can get those free gifts. Guys, I had the amazing opportunity, the blessing of sitting down with my new friend, Jeffrey Olson. Jeff is a best selling author and a moving public speaker, inspiring audiences internationally with his intriguing stories of perseverance and inner strength professionally he is even so much more than a speaker and an author he's a gifted creative director he's going to tell you all about what he does but more than that i just want you guys to know his heart which is really what you're going to get to hear in this interview with him it's absolutely beautiful jeffrey's story is so powerful and so moving it might even be hard to listen to but it's such an important listen if there's any one podcast episode from the show that i'm going to personally keep coming back to it's going to be this one. It's so filled with profound insights and wisdom and things that we can all take with us into our everyday lives as such important spiritual lessons. So, without further ado, let's just dive into the episode. Enjoy. All right. Jeffrey Olson, welcome to the Miracle Mindset Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, gosh, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. So, and I know you're very busy, you're in LA working, so really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um, I thought we could start with you just maybe telling our audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is that you do before we jump into your story.
1: Wow, that's a a loaded question. I do a lot of things. (laughs) I mean, I I still work um, full time as a creative director and marketing director for a small budding network. Producing television shows and full feature films. I mostly handle the marketing of those things after Mm. uh, after they've been greenlit and produced But that's that's my job. I mean who I am is I'm an author speaker. I'm a near-death Experiencer. I'm a a spiritual mentor if you will simply based on the life experiences that I've had
0: yeah amazing so Could you tell us about your incredible, I call it heart-wrenching and heartwarming at the same time, your journey, as as much of that as you feel called to share with us? And obviously, I will hope that everybody will read your book. It's amazing. The book is called Knowing, which obviously in the book, you you tell your story so beautifully and it's so impactful. My life's never going to be the same after reading it. So really, everybody read the book. But can you tell us, you know, in your own words, a little bit about your story?
1: Yes, I, I can. And and I should uh, prerequisite that with, with it's been over 20 years. Yeah. I, I couldn't even speak about what happened for, for a decade. And yeah. um, it was only a very few people, my closest family members and friends, that even knew what had happened. Now, when I say knew what had happened, I, I had a horrific accident, an automobile accident that everybody knew about. Yeah. And it was... Um, It was heart wrenching. I, um, the whole family was on a a road trip vacation down in Southern Utah in Red Rock country. And it was on the way home from that, um, that uh, everything changed. It was me, my wife and our two young sons, one being seven years old and the other one being a toddler, just 14 months old, just over a year. And I, um, I lost control of the car and that's probably the hardest part of the story. I'm not completely positive what happened, but to the best of my recollection, I may, I may have dozed off or just nodded. You know, I didn't necessarily fall asleep at the wheel, but what I recall is swerving to the right overcorrecting to the left and then the car um, swerved and it began to roll not uh, off the street but down the street and i had the cruise control set at 75 miles per hour and it was a horrific automobile accident um i i blacked out for most of it but when i came to or when i realized oh my gosh um the first thing i heard was my seven-year-old son crying in the back seat hysterically crying but it was the type of cry where as a father i thought oh thank goodness he's okay.
0: Yeah, I've,
1: I've got to get to my son. And um, that's when I realized I couldn't move. Um, I was pinned and I couldn't even tell whether it was the floorboard or the seat. I was losing uh, consciousness. Um, I was struggling to breathe. I wasn't aware of my injuries, but what had actually happened to me is that both of my legs had been Crushed and shattered. My my left leg was eventually amputated above the knee. My back had been broken. Um, ironically, the spinal column was not damaged. The vertebrae had just been cracked. My ribs had been damaged. My lungs were collapsing, which is why I couldn't breathe. My right arm had nearly been torn off. Uh, the, all, none of the rotator cuff or anything was even still attached, and it was kind of severed under through the arm. And then the seatbelt had cut through my midsection and ruptured all my intestines. I, I was in a bad way, which the adrenaline, I, I had no idea. All I yeah. knew is my son was crying. I had to get to him. Yeah,
0: but that's, the shock. Um,
1: yeah, the shock of it all. And that, that, and that was the real shock because that's when I realized that no one else was crying. And I became... Dramatically aware that that Tamra, yeah. my wife, was was deceased. She was gone. And this is a very difficult part of the story to talk about. But mm-hmm. Griffin, my little toddler, his his car seat had broken apart in the crash, and he had been ejected from the car. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, just every you know every cell of my being was saying, "Where is my little boy?" And that's when, I I mean, I just knew. I I knew that Tammy was gone, and it's almost like spirit said, he's gone. He's gone. And that was the deepest, darkest hell I'll probably ever be in. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had wrecked the car. Half the family's passed. I've got a hysterical seven-year-old in the back seat that I cannot get to, and I'm losing consciousness. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's the crash that everybody knows about. What I didn't talk about is in that deepest, darkest moment. Mm -hmm. And and, and their words are sometimes difficult to find, but it felt as if light came, like tangible light, like light came to me and began to surround me almost in a comforting way and lifted me up out of that accident scene. Now...
0: Mm
1: you know, as I contemplate that, I was not being lifted up out of the accident scene. My body had to be extricated from the car and rushed to a local hospital. The local hospital knew they could do nothing for me, and I was life flighted into a level one trauma center, but I wasn't aware of that. My consciousness felt as if it was lifted up out of the accident scene. I was surrounded in this beautiful, comforting light, and then suddenly... And, and it was confusing. I'm like, wow, what, what's happening? Now I can breathe. Where's, the pain's gone. Mm. And, and, and what I was asking was, am I okay? Am I okay? What, what just took place here? Yeah. But in all that inquiry, suddenly Tamara, my wife, who I knew was deceased at the scene, she was there in that light with me. And she was gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I don't want to be morbid, but at the scene of the accident, what had happened is she and Griffin were actually sleeping she had reclined her seat back to take a nap while we drove and and because of that the seat belt had not restrained her properly and she had suffered um she had suffered some pretty drastic head trauma which is what took her life and uh to know that at the scene of the accident was so devastating and yet to be in this light in contrast and see her. And see
0: her there, yeah.
1: Absolutely gorgeous, absolutely glorious. Nothing was wrong, there was no injury, there was no trauma. But she was emphatic that I that I couldn't stay. stay. She, she, yeah. In fact, she was saying, you've gotta go back, you've gotta go back, you, you can't come, you've gotta go back. And that was mm-hmm. um, an interesting moment of choice because there I was looking at the woman, I loved more than life, and yet I knew I had a seven-year-old son in the backseat of that car, and I, I, um, I simply made a choice, and the choice was to come back. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that was a, an interesting, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I say choice. I mean, it felt like my soul already knew. It felt like yeah. I knew I was coming back. It felt like Tamara knew I was coming back. And yeah. So she was emphatic that I do so. Um but it wasn't it, it it was a choice it was it was okay, I'm consciously going back, and the reason I outlined that is because I didn't have to figure out how to do that as soon as I made the conscious choice, the intention I'm coming back, I'm going back yeah, um, that's when I found myself wandering around that level one trauma center right flown to mm-hmm.
0: and when you were in there, so when you were in the trauma center, you talk about walking through the hospital as if, you know, not feeling the injuries, not feeling the pain yet, not back fully into your body yet. And you mentioned having these experiences of seeing the nurses, the patients, the families, the people, and not just hearing, but just knowing everything about them, like their trauma, their past, their joy, their pride. And um, gosh, what was that like? And what can we all learn from that experience?
1: Well, I'll tell you, it was absolutely life-changing. Um, I bet. And and the word I I have come up with is I I was experiencing the true oneness and connection yeah. that we are as humanity. And and I say that because I, you know, I came from a good, you know, Christian home, and yet I had become somewhat judgmental in my life. Well, that's good and that's bad and that's right and that's wrong and therefore they're good or they're bad. But in this experience out of the body. And as you say, moving through the hospital, I, I don't know that I was walking. I, I, I was just <laughs> moving freely. But everyone I saw, and you mentioned the doctors, the nurses, the patients, and even the families of the patients, I knew them as well as I knew myself. I knew everything wow. about them. I knew their love. I knew their hate. I knew their motivations. I knew, and not only knew, but I felt what had happened. I I mean, I'll I'll use one brief example. There was a nurse that, I mean, it was simply just, I mean, even in just being in their presence, it might've been just a rush by in the hallway, Mm -hmm. but I felt her life. I felt her essence. I felt, um, actually I felt the abuse that she had received as a child, you know, the severe abuse and how that made her feel about herself and And then at the same time, I was experiencing this magnificence of who she was and who she is. I mean, this feeling the abuse, but seeing, wow, look at her caring for and serving people in a hospital and loving them in such a way where, yes, it's her job, but it comes from her heart. So it's like I was Mm -hmm. feeling the drastic contrast of life, but seeing it in absolute beauty and absolute honor to the point that there was. Nothing but unconditional love. I, I wanted to go and embrace this nurse. I wanted to embrace everyone I saw because I was experiencing them in this magnificence of wow! Look at your life and look at what you've overcome, or look at what you're dealing with, and yet look at who you are in such magnitude that I I, I just wanted to honor all of them, and uh, it was profound. I mean, judgment yeah. and comparisons just went out the window. I, I will never be the same after having that glimpse into what I call was real.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Uh, are you still able to feel other people's energies or um, souls in that kind of way?
1: You know, I, uh, yes, sometimes. I mean, it's not an everyday occurrence as I'm walking down the street, but right. um, <laughs> but I even I'll even do this sometimes in our workshops or when I'm speaking and I'll have people close their eyes. Or I'll have them open their eyes and literally look at someone, you know, look Mm -hmm. at that person right in their eyes and uh, remind them that the, the, the eyes are the window to the soul. And it's interesting what you can feel and what you know, when you literally connect and not just me, I'm talking about anybody. Yeah. We don't, we don't look at each other and we certainly don't see each other. Mm -hmm. And we certainly don't experience each other in a way that that brings us together. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly I suppose if you're close to someone, a, you know, a spouse or a lover or a partner, you know, and, and you felt that connection of, wow, they are me and I am them. And isn't this a beautiful interaction, but we tend to, you know, we tend to meld that into romance or into sex where in reality, intimacy is into me. You see, I mean, it's that, it's that Ooh, connection, right? It's it, good. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so, you know, certainly would make a relationship or, a, or, 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 you know, a love relationship more fulfilling. But if we realized the connection or if, if I realized the connection that I experienced mm-hmm. when out of the body, um, there's no accidents. We're all yeah. here. And even the conversation you and I are having is somehow mm-hmm. in some strange cosmic way in divine order.
0: Yeah. Wow, I love that. And I love that you say that this is something anybody can do is to see somebody and truly see them and see their soul. And thank you for bringing that experience of of having felt other people and, and, and just looking at them in that way that I believe God looks at all of us, right? All of his children and knowing we're all just perfect little children. And if we could just see things that way, we would have so much more compassion and less judgment, like you said less competitiveness all of that and how great would the planet be if we could all just see people that way or at least be open to seeing people that way
1: yeah you, you touched on something on something so key I mean and I you know and having that experience in the hospital and I finally came up to my broken body which was shocking yeah. was like, oh my gosh oh my that's gosh me. but um, but another key aspect of that love and that connection is self-love I mean, as I, as I looked at my broken body and thought, wow, that's me. And yet it's not me. I, I am this soul having this incredible connected yeah. experience, but there's my, there's my skin suit, you know, that's yeah. the, that's the temple that I'm wandering around yeah. in the tabernacle of flesh. Yeah. Um. And what a gift. I mean, I, 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 I you know, I never honored it enough. I, I took it for granted. I, I didn't even contemplate that how do my eyes know how to be eyes and see, and how does yeah. my heart just beat without me telling it to? And then also, um, you know, having come up in a, in a Christian home, I, I, I sometimes thought, well, the flesh is weak, you know, the body's bad. I, you know, and, and in this instance, I realized, wow, that my body is probably the most magnificent gift yeah. I'll ever have. And, um, and, and mine was so broken that it was, it was quite sad to say, wow, I mean, I, I was a division one athlete once upon a time and there it was, I wasn't going to walk properly again. You know, the leg was going to be amputated. I mean, every, everything had suddenly changed. And so, um, I had this overwhelming love for my own body, um, seeing Mm -hmm. it broken like that. And eventually it, it, it manifested as, as love for myself which took that took over a decade i'll be honest i yeah i had these profound experiences but i i grieved like anyone would grieve
0: yeah i I was in
1: the hospital for almost six months i had 18 surgeries in total putting me back together gosh and i was an absolute wreck not only physically but emotionally i mean Mm -hmm. i'd lost half my family i didn't know how i was going to raise my little seven-year-old son which Actually, he, he basically walked away from the accident physically yeah, he, he was yeah. banged up, but he um,
0: incredible. But emotionally,
1: he thought he had lost his whole family, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was a big uh, it was a big deal and he's, he's incredible. I was speaking with him on the phone last night. He's now a grown man and he's married <laughs> and, and yet he, um, he, <laughs> he was my biggest strength. Yeah, through the whole process, um, as far as that goes. He was the motivation to get well and to oh, get yeah. on with life.
0: Yeah, your your anchor to this realm, as you said in the book, uh-huh. was your son, Spencer. Um, so just take us back for a minute to, after you're having this out-of-body experience and you you get back into that mangled, basically, body of yours that's literally rotting away in the hospital room, and you've already said... You had 18 surgeries, 16 surgeries, 18 18 surgeries. And I really, what I really appreciate about is of your book. And when you tell the story is how you talk about now choosing joy and choosing gratitude and all the profound things, but you're also very real about those dark moments and how um, deep that depression was and how real that struggle was. Because that makes us appreciate even more, I think, how your strength and how you're able to eventually choose joy in the little moments and choose, choose um, to be grateful. But if, if you could just take us back to that moment when you're coming back into your body and you just feel like, well, what did you feel like?
1: Well, it was, <laughs> it was incredible. And I, and I could probably go on about that for an hour yeah. here, but I'll, I'll, I'll touch briefly on what that was like. And um, number one, I've already touched upon, wow, suddenly I was honoring the body. Wow, this mm-hmm. body is such a gift, and I've got to get back in it even though it's broken. Yeah. And um, I had some profound insights which I won't I won't dwell much upon, but but as I was in the hospital and experiencing all this love and connection, it's almost like, like you said, God was walking with me. I was getting God's perspective, see my children, see how beautiful mm. they are, see how glorious they are. And as I stood over my own body, um, this tutorial literally outlined for me. I mean, you know, people all over the world go into synagogues and temples and holy places, but the narrative I was getting or this mentoring or tutoring I was getting said, your body is the temple. Going God. into your body is the most glorious temple you'll ever enter. It, it mm-hmm. You know, this is the gift of, of mortality and of life. And so it was coupled with all that glory and all that remembering or or you know, knowledge. It's almost like I was remembering it. And yet getting in the body was so heavy, so dense. I mean, the pain returned, the guilt returned, the the regret. Yeah. Like, I mean, that the, the trauma, the sorrow, the grief, all of it. And it was so heavy. I mean, it was yeah. like being in a lead suit. And I, I was ventilated. You know, they had a big respirator down my throat doing the breathing for my lungs. My legs were obviously immobile. My right arm was immobile. They eventually tied down my left arm because I kept grabbing at the medical equipment. Wow. But I learned a whole, I mean, it's just a, a whole new meaning for the term be still. Mm-hmm. Be, I had no choice. I literally laid yeah. there and wallowed in the grief and the pain and the yeah. trauma and the regret um, like I say, for, for months. I was in ICU for a very long time. Yeah. And uh, I would go from ICU to surgical recovery, but then I would throw, I, I threw pulmonary embolisms, the blood clots that lodge in your lungs, which yeah. landed me back into ICU. It was just a, it was a very difficult and long ride in the hospital.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and yet I was I was lucky enough to have family. I mean, my brothers, who I'm very close to, Mm -hmm. they, they practically lost their jobs to come and sit with me in the hospital, to be with me, to look out for me. And I was, like I say, I was out of it most of the time. Those, that first month I was in and out of consciousness. It was a little bit crazy. Um, They didn't even know if I was going to make it. Yeah. But, um, but my brothers were always right there. I don't know what people do without family or friends. I I was so lucky Mm -hmm. to have good family and, and and people around me but it was a long it was a long haul and being in the body was hard i i actually became suicidal at one point which Mm -hmm. i knew i was surviving for my son i knew i had to get on with it but there were days and there was one particular dark night of the soul when i was begging my younger brother to bring me a gun to sneak a gun into the hospital so i could end it and and i believe i would have done it i really do um and you know, of course he said, no, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting story. Cause this was yeah. very early on. This was, um, it was the night they amputated my leg and the gangrene had become so bad. You, I, I was rotting. I, I kept saying to my, my mother, what is that smell? What stinks in here? And it was, it wow. was me a rotting your flesh body.
0: My oh my gosh.
1: And, um, and I was so upset and in so much pain and and so much grief that I wanted to end it. I couldn't do it anymore. And I'd asked my brother to assist me with that. But the reason I share that it was interesting because when the doctor said, we've got to take his leg or he'll be dead in the morning, um, it was my brother's and nobody wanted to sign the medical release. I was on morphine. Therefore I was not capable of signing it. Mm -hmm. They went to my mother and she didn't want to sign it. They went to my brother's and my younger brother's an attorney and my older brother was in law enforcement. They're both men's men and could certainly sign it. But what they decided to do was to all sign it together so Mm. that no one had to be solely responsible for the fact (laughs)
0: that they were going to
1: cut off my leg above the knee to save my life. And so the reason I share that without rambling is here I was in the consciousness of wanting to take my life and those around me were signing a document to literally save it.
0: Yeah.
1: Move me on, and it was a pretty powerful moment when I found out all that had gone on.
0: Yeah. uh, After the fact. Beautiful. Um, So, you mentioned (laughs) after going through all of this, and you're basically hanging on by a thread, and you're one surgery after another, they're trying to basically piece you back together. And then they discover the blood clots lodged in your lungs. And you say, after I survived that, I realized, okay i meant to survive if <laughs> I'm going to survive that. So at that moment, did you did you feel like then maybe there's a greater purpose for having gone through all of this?
1: I I did. It, and it came in inklings. I mean, not only was the out-of-body experience profound, but also, and we used to laugh. I mean, after that, my, my brothers would tease me and say, well, you can't be killed. So you're, you know, you're just, you're just <laughs> you're
0: invincible. You're,
1: you gotta, yeah. <laughs> hang in there and get on with it. Yeah. And of course I became well enough that Spencer my little son could come see me in the hospital which was a a joy. He would come yeah. in. And yet I would just cry, you know. And he would climb up on the bed and we would, you know, so I was I I was incredibly motivated to get well and to be his father because that's how I you know that's why I had come back. But at the same yeah. time Oh, it just it it really uh pinged my heart as far as my youngest son, Griffin, you know, the little, Mm -hmm. the little toddler boy that I would never see grow up. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, for me, I, I, and I, and I say this to groups often who have had children pass, I don't know if there's any pain so deep and so profound as losing a child, you know? Yeah, And there was a sadness that, uh, that just, uh, could not be filled. And then also just the, the worry of Spencer and how I would ever raise him, you know, and he, he was a little boy. I mean, would he even remember his mother? And how was I, you know, there was all this, all this stirring yeah. within me. And, um, I, I had a beautiful experience actually at the end of my hospital stay. I mean, the two, the two most profound experiences were at the scene mm-hmm. of the accident when I left the body and said goodbye to Tamara.
0: Yep.
1: And then, you know, in the hospital, like I say, in and out of things, um, <laughs> in and out of consciousness, and in and out of ICU. But at the end of my hospital stay, when I was out of ICU, I was out of surgical recovery. I was actually in the rehabilitation wing, and I was off of all the heavy... Off all med-
0: major medicine, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was taking Tylenol. I mean, I was, I was off of any narcotic, and um, I had... An incredibly profound experience that may have even trumped the original out of the body when I was wandering through the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is it started with that light again. Now, I was—I was, they had finally stabilized the abdominal injuries where I was able to sleep on my side. I had laid on my back so long that I had rubbed all the hair off the back of my head. I was bald on the back <laughs> of my head from laying on my back. Yeah. But... I was finally able to sleep on my side mm. and I slipped into a profound, beautiful sleep. In fact, I even remember thinking, wow, I'm sleeping. I don't think I've slept. for months." <laughs> I remember feeling I'm, I'm sleeping. Yeah. And then that light came again. You know, that light came, that comforting, beautiful light that seemed to rise me above the hospital bed. But this time the light dispensed and went away. And I was in the most beautiful, incredible place. And, you know, people say heaven or the other side. The only word I can even put on this feeling was I was home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was home, you know, and I, and I began to run, which was beautiful because with the amputation yeah. of the left leg and my, my right leg still had six pins and a plate holding me together. I didn't have two good legs anymore. But in this realm, I had two perfect legs and I was mm-hmm. running joyfully running and it felt so physical I mean it's 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 strange how physical it felt I could feel the ground under my feet I could feel the energy charging up through my thighs and legs and yep. I was joyfully thinking I'm home and I'm whole and and then I got the message that I wasn't there to stay and at that same time there was this <sighs> corridor. there was this corridor off to the left and I knew I knew I was to go down there just intuitively. And I, and I did, I began to go down this corridor and at the end of the corridor, there was this crib and, and Griffin, my little boy, um, was still in a crib when he, you know, he was at that point in life, he was still sleeping in his crib. Mm -hmm. And I had lamented for those months in the hospital about him being thrown from the car and where, where was he, you know, and, and what was going on. And yet I, here I was in this beautiful place, and there was this crib, and so I raced to the crib. And when I looked in it, there, there was my little boy, and he was beautiful. He was sleeping. He was perfect, just like when I saw Tamra. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I swept him up in my arms, and I held him, and um, it was so tangible, so physical, if you will. I mean, have you ever picked up a sleeping child? hmm you know, and you feel the weight of them and the heat of their body. That's what it was. And I could wow. I could feel him solid against me and I could feel his breath on my neck. And I wow. I actually leaned over and and I don't know, I'm sure parents know what I'm talking about, but I smelled his hair. Gosh. And I thought it's him. It's really him. I mean, it wasn't an illusion, it wasn't a dream. I was holding my little boy, and I began to weep, just, just thinking, "Wow, he's really okay," and I do I really get to say goodbye to him too? And I hesitated to share these experiences for years because I knew so many people lose loved ones and don't get to say goodbye. And I had said goodbye to Tamara, and here I was getting to say goodbye to Griffin as well. But as I held him and I was weeping, I felt this incredible presence behind me this overwhelming cosmic all wise all powerful presence which I I knew was God I thought I'm in the presence of God yeah I'm holding my little boy and I I began to have well I began to have the guilt bubble back up you know I thought well he's here because I crashed the car I lost (sighs) control I crashed the (sighs) car he died and he's here because i screwed up and and you know and i it, it was <laughs> this presence was coming closer and closer and i'd grown up believing that life was a test i was probably failing and god was going to judge me and the thought i had as i'm holding my little boy was i hope i can be forgiven somehow and <laughs> as i had that thought and i'm holding my little boy and this, this almost felt physical, too. I felt those divine arms wrap around and hold us. And suddenly there was just this download of truth and peace and knowledge, starting with the, 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 the message that there's nothing to forgive. Mm-hmm. That everything's in divine order. That everything that happened to me in my life, even the accident, and this was interesting, was my plan. That I had had a plan, my soul wanted to come and have experiences and learn to love and learn to grow, and that the entire universe in absolute unconditional love supported that whole journey. And and I, you know, I, I was weeping, and the the love, the peace, the truth, the unconditional love. In fact, I was, I was actually seeing my life. I've I've been told this is called a, a life review, you know, in these experiences, but. <laughs> I saw myself as a little boy. I saw the divorce of my parents. I saw what that did as far as my insecurities. I saw, I saw everything. And I was putting judgments on it. I was like, ooh, that that was a mistake. No, no, no. Don't, yeah. Or, or, well, yeah I knew that was wrong, but I did it anyway. I mean, I was, I was even judging myself. And this divine being communicated, those are your judgments of your life, not ours. Hmm. We absolutely love you we absolutely think you're perfect. We absolutely know you're divine. And those are powerful words, but here I was holding my own little boy and feeling those same things. Isn't he perfect? Isn't he divine? Isn't he glorious? And yet I felt I was in the arms of God and he was giving me the same message. Aren't you all glorious? Aren't Mm -hmm. you all perfect? Aren't you all absolutely beloved children? just like the little guy you hold. And, and yeah. it, was, it was the most profound download of just peace and love and, and truth. I, I was eventually in that process given a choice again. I think choice, I think there's only one cosmic law and I think it's choice. You mm-hmm. have the freedom to choose. But I yes. was told that I could be, you know, because I began to ask God, why? Why, you know? And, and what was communicated to me was, You can be mad at God your whole life and feel like we, you know, took them from you or you can beat yourself up because you were driving the car or in this beautiful, perfect moment, there's another choice. You can literally let go. You can give your son to me and exercise your own choice and -hmm. it will be honored. And therefore no one will have taken him. You will have given him. And in all that love and that peace and that beauty, I, I was able to kiss my little boy and, um, and hand him over. And, um, and then I woke up in the hospital bed, you know, back to the amputation and the crushed leg and the, <sighs> long the arm and, and, and I thought, gosh, why didn't I just hold on? You know, I mean, I, I even not yeah. judge myself about that. <laughs> but I, I had a whole different perspective about love And about Mm -hmm. God and about life and um, like I say I don't want anybody to think I had these profound experiences and then I was okay I had these profound experiences and it took me a decade yeah I grieved and as I worked my way around life but I did have some profound insights in those moments when I suppose I say the veil just went away and I was in a different place
0: yeah what a beautiful thing to experience and and what a beautiful lesson to learn, too, as you're holding your son. And like you said, the way you're seeing him is absolutely perfect and divine. And that's how God sees you. And all of us are higher power, you know, whatever we want to refer to higher power as. But that's such a beautiful lesson. And um, I thank you because you didn't have to share that experience with everybody, right? You could have kept it all to yourself. You could have said, oh, you know, who's going to believe me or what you know, are people going to judge me? So what was that like, actually? How did you begin to explain these experiences to other people? And were you nervous to share that? Were you fearful of disbelief or judgment?
1: I, I was very nervous to share it. Now, I shared it with my mother and I shared it with my younger brother. Um, and and the, the, here's a very odd part of the story, but it's a beautiful part of the story. I actually had two people come and visit me when they finally started to allow visitors to see me, and um, yeah, this man and woman walked in, and I assumed they were a couple, but I couldn't place them. I'm like they're not from my neighborhood. I don't know them at work, they're <laughs> not in the congregation I, I didn't I couldn't place them <laughs> and I thought who are who is this couple? Well, come to find out they weren't a couple at all. It was the head trauma physician and one of the trauma nurses from the night they had life flighted me into the hospital. And at the time I still wasn't talking about anything that had happened. And this was actually before I had had the experience with Griffin. Yeah. But they shared that the night I came into their trauma center that they not only felt, but saw Tamra, my wife who had passed, her soul was in that room and she was standing in the air above me. And and I was just shocked that here's this clinician, yeah. you know, a doctor and nurse sharing this very spiritual thing. They had no idea who I was. They had no idea that I had had a profound out of body or near death experience, but they said, we just felt moved upon that we should share this. And it's funny, Dr. Jeff wow. O'Driscoll is the doctor and he, he, um, he wouldn't talk about it publicly for years. He's now, in fact, we're, we're speaking <laughs> together. Um, in wow. January, we're going to be doing a, uh, a cruise for people who have had children pass oh or gosh. spouses and then mm-hmm. we're going to be in uh, gosh we're in london in march and in ireland where because he had the courage to step up and talk about it we're now being invited to share our experience all over but they shared that they had had this profound experience with my life wow. who had passed and so i had this doctor that i could trust and i did tell him some of my experiences Quite honestly, thinking, well, if I'm nuts, he'll put me in the psych ward, you know, and and get me sorted out, right? Because it was so real. I, I didn't, I didn't doubt what I had experienced because it was so real. But to know that there was a neutral party, wasn't family, wasn't a friend, was simply a physician. Um, I did share with him some of my experiences, but early on, those are the only people I really told. I held it very tight to the chest. I didn't want people to think I was crazy. I didn't want people to think I was special or was trying to make myself special. And, and quite honestly, it was, um, it was sacred. I felt like this is just for me. This is this beautiful gift just yeah. to get me through. Yeah. But finally, um, yeah, finally 12 years after the accident and I had, gosh, there's so much, I mean, you, you've read the book, so you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I eventually fell in love again, which was a miracle. I remarried. Yes. We adopted children. But all of that um, was a long time coming because yeah. I, I was still contemplating everything that had happened, and I wasn't very open about it until Spirit said, "Share your experience, and people will heal." and this mm-hmm. is at a point when I was beginning to heal, and when I say heal this was this was twelve years after the accident yeah. my body had healed, but my my soul was healing, and so i i um yeah, I wrote the book, and um and it was even even that came. I, I never set out to write a book or be an author. i had a i had a I had a publisher approach me and ask if I would tell the story. They had heard me speak about it to a group of grieving people, and they said, "You've got to write a book." And I said, "No.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't have to do anything and And then um, oh, it, it's funny how the how the universe will will work and how yeah. God speaks to us, and that little whisper that says, "Well, maybe that's why you're here." Maybe if you shared your experience, people mm. could heal. And that's why I eventually wrote down what had happened and shared it with the world, which was very, very it was hard. It's tough to yeah, be vulnerable sure. sometimes. Yeah. yeah.
0: The book is very vulnerable. It's hard just reading it. <laughs> I found it hard to read. But yet couldn't stop reading it at the same time and I found it funny that you say in the beginning of the book that you actually don't like writing or you're not much of a writer and then you go on to write the most beautiful, profound things and there's so many lines in there that I've just like folded the pages over and I'm going to come back to that. There's so many amazing insights and you just take us right there with you into those, the darkest moments and the most beautiful, profound experiences too, so you're so
1: kind I love that it's true I'm tingling thinking Uh, "Wow, really that's thank you I'm honored you would feel that way that's beautiful thank you
0: it's true and I mean everyone everyone's got to read this book it will very much change your life and change your perspective on on just finding gratitude in the little things and how you mentioned heaven is right here heaven is here on earth and it's in the you know the rustling of the leaves in the tree and it's in the sunshine and it's in the the laughter of your little kid and and all those little moments so that's something i'm going to take with me forever so thank you yeah. for that
1: well you did you did read the book it it is oh yeah <laughs> it, is, it is interesting and you know there was there was a moment when that that sort of solidified and i'll share this briefly but i'm i'm sharing it cuz there this was a big big epiphany for me And this is when I was coming home from the hospital. You know, I'd had this beautiful experience with Griffin and I was finally coming home and I was so worried about Spencer my little seven-year-old and how he would deal with his broken dad. Uh, uh. And my brothers, of course, were there to bring me home. And Mm -hmm. they, at this point, they would have to lift me into the wheelchair. I mean, my left leg was lopped off. My right leg was in a brace. My right arm was in a brace. I only had one left hand that was working, which they had taught me in the rehabilitation center to drive a little mechanical or electrical wheelchair. Wow. And I remember arriving and I actually went to my younger brother's house. I was still going to have to stay there and have home help for several months. Yeah. But as we arrived, I saw Spencer and gosh, again, my brothers, my younger brother had just taken him into their home. He and his wife as if he was one of their own and just took care of him while I healed. But wow. Uh, I saw him looking out the window as my brothers lifted me, you know so there 's his uncles, my brothers lifting me yeah. his dad, with an electrical wheelchair, and I started my way to the house and Spencer came running out and he was running toward me, but then he ran right past me, and I thought I, I knew this was going to be so hard. How can he possibly accept me? the rough and tumble dad that would run with him and throw him in the air, and now i 'm just this heap in a wheelchair and um, I thought it, I knew it was going to be tough. And I started making my way to the ramp. That my, my brothers a built a ramp so I could get the wheelchair in the house. I mean, they just did so much, but I checked just to see where Spencer was. And he had run across the street and he was knocking on all the neighbors doors and he was saying, come out, come out. My dad made it home. And, um, I just thought, wow, what, what a kid, you know, and, and he, he eventually did run up to me and he threw himself on my lap, which <laughs> about killed me because I still had all the staples and sutures down my abdomen. And <clears throat> he put his arms around me and, um, <clears throat> you know, we had a little conversation. I said, look, I'm going to be like this for a while. I'm going to work very hard to get well. He, he was a Star Wars nut. I said, they're going to make me a cool Darth Vader leg. They're going to teach me how to walk. <laughs> but I said, can you, can you deal with this? And we still laugh. He, he's six foot three now and 29 years old. He's, he's a full-grown man. But at that point, when he was seven, he wrapped his arms around my neck and he said, dad, if you were nothing but a puddle of blood, I would still love you. And <laughs> oh we gosh. laugh about that, but I burst into tears. And, yeah. and the reason I share this, and you've already touched on it. Here I was in this realm in a wheelchair holding my living son, and it was no less profound than being in the other realm, holding my Mm. son who had passed in the arms of God. In fact, Mm
0: -hmm. in those
1: arms and in that wheelchair, I was in the arms of God still, and I realized that heaven is right here. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do but to simply be, and be in that perfect, sacred gift of every moment of saying, wow, look at life look at what it offers and look at love and look at what love offers and look at the difference i can make even if it's for my own little boy by simply being present you know yeah and and that was a big epiphany that began this path of wow what is real what is life and what is love and how can i enjoy it more fully
0: oh my gosh that's my that's the part in the book well a lot of parts in the book that made me cry and it's making me cry again right now. But it's such a beautiful moment that there you were expecting him to be scared of you or not sure how to handle you like that. And he just loves you anyway, absolutely unconditionally. And I mean, of course he would, but just, oh, that moment's so beautiful. It makes me cry. Um, I wasn't planning to share this, but I've, I've had a near death experience as well and it was really Brief, but i I can relate to you so much in that that when you say that feeling of it felt like coming home, and that's exactly how it felt and I was fourteen years old, I just had a scoliosis surgery, um, so it was a ten hour surgery on my back, lost a ton of blood, very very high risk surgery and then and here and all my life, I thought I've had it hard because I've had maybe six or seven surgeries in my life I'm thinking I'm the surgery queen, and oh nobody's been through this many surgeries and then reading your book 16 surgeries just in one hospital stay he's like wow okay everything in perspective right but anyways yeah it's this major surgery and then in the hospital afterwards and I was on a lot of morphine and a lot of painkillers so for years I didn't know if I should share if I was crazy or if I was just loopy from the medication but um, I know that the truth of my heart and that what happened was so real. What happened was I thought it was a dream and I saw my grandmother who passed away when I was seven. So I was 14 at the time. So this is seven years later, but I just felt so excited to see her. And it just felt like coming home and I was running, like you said, no pain, physically running towards her. And for whatever reason, I was as my seven-year-old self, I was running, had pigtails in my hair, like I used to wear, and my old purple t-shirt. So <laughs> excited running up to her and and I used to see her all the time in my dreams. So this was an exciting moment to go and sit with her again, but it felt different and it felt so real. And she actually yelled at me and she was very, she scolded me. She was very stern and very serious. And she said, Emily, you cannot come with me. I do not want you here. You have to go back to your mom. You have to go back. And I do not want you here. And I was just I didn't understand what was happening, so I was just crushed like what why doesn't she want me here? This was my best buddy growing up, you know, and so I remember just waking up and soaking my my hospital gown in tears and just so upset, and then told told my mom, I just had this really bad dream about grandma, and she yelled at me and said I had to go back, and she didn't want me around and my mom was like. Okay, um, that's okay, honey. It was just a dream, you know, go back to sleep. And then she went left the room and she went to my dad and she's like, I think mom just sent Emily back. I think Emily just about died and mom sent her back. And years later I realized that is most definitely what happened and I see her as my guardian angel. And thanks to stories like yours, I now started to have the courage to share that experience. But
1: Wow. It's it's beautiful. I mean, thank you for sharing that. It's, I mean, we do have a great deal in common to have someone we love very much say, you can't be here. You yeah. got to go back. And that's, you know, that, that, that it's very interesting. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I I know those things are real. And we do have guardian angels. Yeah. I mean, even even totally. though, you know, I, I experienced holding Griffin as a toddler. And I think that may have been a gift. You know, I'm not pretending that he's a toddler up in those yeah. rooms. Because now when I feel him near, it's this courageous, you know, your guardian angel person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those things are so real. In fact, to me, that's, what's real. This is the weird, crazy dream. This, <laughs> yeah, those, those, those little glimpses are the things that are real.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so what do you hope that readers will take away or listeners listen to this podcast and hopefully they read the book? What do you hope that their, their biggest takeaways would be from, from your journey?
1: Well, that's such a great question. Um, I would say, number one, that they have a choice. You know, that everything's a choice and to choose joy, to choose to embrace the good things, um, even when they're the challenging things. I think our challenges may be some of our greatest gifts in the end because they make us who we are or they give us the opportunity to become um, something, um, and, and I don't even know if become is the word to literally remember our divinity, to remember Mm. that, um, also that life is a gift, you know, that every, every moment is actually sacred and our lives are just strings of these moments. But, um, you know, people say this to me sometimes they'll say, gosh, you must've been preserved for some great purpose, you know? And I say, yeah, I mean, you know, to watch one more sunset, and, and to, mm-hmm. no, I'll never see that sunset like that in this moment ever, ever again, or to play catch with my son or feel my wife's foot rub against my leg in the bed. I mean, those yeah, little yeah. things are the big things. And yeah. and sometimes smiling at a stranger is is the grandest thing we'll do in a day, you know? I mean, it, it's it's embracing life in that way. And it's always going to have its challenges. I still have challenges today. If I didn't, I'd be lying. Mm -hmm. But to embrace them as a gift and as a way to stretch the soul is where I found my joy.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this. This was absolutely amazing. Is there, I know you've already shared so much. Is there any final thoughts, anything on your heart um, that you feel you want to share with the audience before I let you go?
1: Oh, wow. You know, two things, two things. Um, okay. Spencer, my little son,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he, he never had an experience. He never mm-hmm. had a dream. He never, you know, when he was, uh, I mean, I, I talked about what a support he was to me when he was young, when he became a, an adolescent and, and into late adolescence, he's just like, dad, I got nothing. You speak of these dreams and visions and visitations and I got nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I I begged God every day to just let me feel mom, and and I never got anything. And so the reason I bring this up is so many people are saying, gosh, I want to feel that. I want to have an experience. I want to have that peak. And, And my own son never did, but that was devastating to me in some ways. I thought, gosh, I'll give it all away if he can have something. And I got a profound answer to that, which was stop judging your son and his life experience. (laughs) It's perfect for him. Mm. And and he has become probably the most compassionate, deep man I I know. And he, you know, he might believe different. He might say, I got nothing from upstairs. So, and this is what's beautiful. He said, I'll be the difference. I'll be God's hands. I'll be God's light. I'll be God's love here in this realm because I I never experienced that. And so I'm going to be it. And, and, and so if there's people out there that say, gosh, I never had an experience. I never yeah. had keep, keep that in mind. The second thing is that love has the power to overcome everything and anything. I mean, I've been so lucky in my life to have people like, like Tanya, my current wife, who have come into my life and mm-hmm. assisted me to heal and pick up the pieces and have put up with me while I grieved and, you know. <sighs> floundered around you know remembering all the pieces and putting the puzzle back together um and then also and this is the last uh you know in that whole realm of love being so powerful if people want to have a spiritual experience this is what i often invite them to do is go into a quiet place close your eyes and simply ask what can i do for someone else today
0: Mm -hmm.
1: what can I do for someone else? And I almost promise you'll have an idea or a thought, or you might in your mind's eye see someone's face and it might be as simple as, gosh, I think I'm going to text mom today, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's as subtle and yet as simple and as powerful as these things work. just being open to what can I do for somebody else? The inspiration comes. And then when you do it, watch the miracles that unfold. Um, Life is completely different, and the world becomes a completely different place, and nothing really changed except my perspective, right? And that's all. I mean, that's all I would share. I don't want to ramble. <laughs> that's <in 14> all. <laughs> there's, there's so many people that are hurting, that are struggling, that are grieving, that are struggling with addictions or self-loathing. I mean, I've been there. I've been I've been through all these things.
0: Mm-hmm. There's
1: light at the end of the tunnel. Keep Keep hanging in there, keep shining, and be open to what you can do for someone else and watch what that changes in the
0: world. Wow. I mean, I was just laughing because you drop all of that amazing wisdom and then you say, that's all, that's all I would oh share. <laughs> but it was
1: was <laughs> well, all... amazing. Like, it might be cowboy <laughs> wisdom in the end. I, I grew up on a little yeah, farm awesome. and I, I think sometimes it comes back. And it's just simple things.
0: Oh, no, that was awesome. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. This was, I don't even have words. This was amazing. Your story's amazing. If angels exist in human form, I believe you are an angel, my friend.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thank you. For blessing Emily, thank us. you. And uh, it's just been an honor to be with you. And you're so gracious. And, and, and you yourself have been through a great deal. And that's what makes your soul so powerful. I love it. You're, you're a beautiful soul. So thank you for having me and thank you for your kind words.
0: Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much again for listening. I would love, love, love if you could take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media, specifically your Instagram stories, and just tag me at essentially emm. Let me know what you thought of the episode. If you loved it, share it with your friends, or even better, leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And this helps our podcast get like podcast street cred. And this is what helps me to keep getting epic guests to bring to you guys. So help us get some street cred and spread the word. Make our show more searchable so that more women like you who are ambitious and driven and want to know all things mindset and manifestation can find us and join our community. Love you guys so much. Thanks again.